Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30 somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. Turg, welcome back. Welcome back from what? You've been gone. I, I tried to link with you last weekend so we could yeah. record, and you were out of town. Where were you? <laughs> it was probably one of the few times I've been able to just steal away for a weekend, and it was actually pretty, I wouldn't say relaxing because I didn't get any sleep, but it, it was nice just to... How do I put it without sounding like a dick, but kind of like... There's no way to put it, just, so just, just say it. <laughs> just kind of let loose, you know, just be... It was Daddy's free. Day Off. It was Daddy's right? Day Off, yeah. <laughs> so uh, a few buddies and I got together for a another one of our buddies' bachelor party. Yeah, so it was just so ambiguous. Bu- it's okay to use names in here. The bunch of buddies. Your friends are. It was buddies. <laughs> the buddy system. All right. But yeah, my friend... Um, who also happens to share the same name as I, Anthony. Um, he's getting married in a couple of weeks, and we just felt it appropriate to give him a nice send-off. And I think he liked it. Did, I you, think, cr- I did, think, did you cross the border? Did I, no, we did not cross the border. That was actually one thing that I would not do. I mean, that's how you do a proper send-off, isn't it? I wasn't sure if half the people that we were with would actually be able to make it back. Oh, that's a good call. I forgot about <laughs> I forgot about the current climate. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> Not to talk shit, but I mean, those Border Patrol guys are assholes. So all it takes is one guy to say, nope, nope, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You've been 45 <laughs> Wow. So what did you guys do? What did you get into? What, what, is, what is a bachelor party like? It was the groom to be, groom groom to be, right? Uh, I would just call him a bachelor, but yeah, groom to be okay. is fine. Sure, <laughs> bachelor. Is he uh, thirty or is he younger? No, he's he's yeah, he's thirty. He's uh, our age. I think he's. Uh, well, when's his birthday? Like ten days older than I am, something like that. Yeah. So, what's a bachelor party like in your thirties? Because I've done plenty of the bachelor parties in your twenties. Sure. Yeah. And I've thought about this a lot, right? And and part of me feels like. I mean, my twenties were kind of a bachelor party, low key. So <laughs> yeah, well, that we uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna say anymore. Yeah, that twenties were pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, is it still as intense and wild and crazy, or is it more so like we went wine tasting in the vineyards? Not quite. Um, one real stark contrast between twenties and thirties is you have a lot more money to throw at things now because people are a little bit more established they have careers when you're you, like when you say throw at things are, are we are we talking about inanimate objects are we talking about like them things <laughs> how do i answer that <laughs> was it a fundraiser for some there were many there were many <laughs> there were many events uh for the night but yeah there was a there were fundraisers, and you know it's funny because uh, fundraisers are for strippers. Just so you guys know, someone has to pay their tuition. <laughs> you attribute a lot of the bachelor party to the adult portion of it, but a lot of it's just uh, guys bonding over 
intoxicated moments that they're trying to link together, reminisce about the past, and send off, you know, the the, the bachelor to the future. But getting back to the point that I was making before is there's a lot more money behind things now because people have careers, they've been established, um, or they're getting established, so they're a little bit more willing, you know, they there's a little bit more stability. In your twenties, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my rent, so I don't know if I could throw, you know, two, three hundred bucks at, you know, a stripper or drinks or bar hopping or whatever, you know? Yeah. So would you say it was, I mean, I don't want to get into to tiers of strippers, but more so, were you guys investing in more expensive experiences or were you doing? Yeah. Okay. I, I would stop right there because, yeah, it was all about the experience. So we booked the suite. We went all out for that. Um, like everybody had a bed. Like nobody was sleeping on the floor. No, we, we had people sleeping on the floor, but that's because we packed the suite. So, you know, it was, it was still kind of you had the, some things that I, I, I was what I'm ready to let that go. That uh, sleeping on the floor. Yeah, I did. I was not a fan. I ended up, oddly enough, I booked the fucking thing. I ended up sleeping on the floor because I just got there too late. I got I showed up at like four thirty, I think, and everyone already had they dibs had on everything. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, I, I already said you know I would get at least the couch, the couch bed. But you know, fortunately enough, it wasn't that comfortable for them. Um, just because <laughs> I think we you're we, just trying to justify it for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of drinks too, so you know the drunken slumber isn't the most comfortable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So we had a good time. So. When you get a bunch of guys together for something like that, you form a lot of memories. You form a lot of things that you also want to forget. We had a couple of funny moments. Well, um, <laughs> and you form a lot and you want to forget? Yeah. There's a lot of disturbing things that you witness. I mean, what could be more disturbing? You, you already said you saw a lot of genitals in college. I mean, how much more disturbing could this get? Yeah, but we're in our 30s now. I think we're past the whole flashing genitals in front of each other part just because it's funny. Yeah, well, and okay. some people at this age, it's surprising how many people still don't groom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, for real, I you gotta you gotta look at it from the perspective of I don't hey, want to you know look what? at I'm, it. I'm trying to. I don't want to look at it either. But you have to form the perspective of I'm trying to. Um, improve my situation not just fucking let it all hang out you know it's come on i mean you're uh, i don't know people just don't make sense to me their grooming habits don't make sense to you they don't they really don't so anyway man getting back to this bachelor party weekend we had a lot of funny moments that coincided with either people losing their shit or you know uh, people absorbing a matchbox into their crack and then walking around the room and leaving a trail of matchsticks around the around the suite, and someone was going around picking them up. I don't know how you get a matchbox lodged in your ass crack to the point where you don't realize it, and you're just sh- literally shitting matchsticks all over the suite. It was like a it was like a trail of breadcrumbs. It was hilarious. No, that that is not hilarious. We that had disgusting. We had urination, what? we had intoxication. We you had know, and I was this close to driving down to San Diego to crash the bachelor party so we could like film and uh, record an episode. I'm so glad I did it. You should have. I, I don't want to be around for that. I think you would have partook. <laughs> Especially in the urination. Oh wow. No, but, no, no. You know how it is when you get a bunch of guys together. It's it's just pure debauchery, right? We we just don't give a fuck about anything. No hygiene, no anything. 
No, I, I can't agree on that one. That my circle of friends are incredibly particular about appearances. Now, right? No, even when we were younger. Really? Yeah. So that's something that hasn't changed. Because I've done bachelor parties with with guys that are my age when we were in our twenties. Even even I mean, if we're talking bachelor parties or even just like the guys going out and doing things when you know the collective bonding. Yeah, bonding. Mm-hmm. Even then they were always about being to the nines, right? I went to a bachelor party when I turned 30 and it was with a, a bunch of guys that were in their like mid to late twenties. Uh-huh. And uh even even then it was very similar to what, what my friends are. They were they were all about, you know, well, you, I know you want to make it. You want to make a comment. Well, I was gonna ask. You've never had a friend like piss himself in the middle of the night? No, he was just so fucking drunk. No, no, really? Yeah. Maybe they haven't said anything about it, but they're really wow. Uh, maybe they haven't said anything about it, but I mean, was it like you were laying next to your buddy and you wake up and you're like, "What's that, sm- bro? Did you just piss yourself tonight?" Like, never on me, but I've seen it happen to other people. Nah, bro, that's never been something. Now, now. Maybe throwing up might have happened, but that was at least in the bathroom or downstairs or something. Never like on a bed or anything crazy. Two very different worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've i I've seen grunge. Yeah. I can't. I've been to the grunge bar, but I've never been in the grunge life. <laughs> well, I mean, there's that and there's grunge life. Grunge life is real. Yeah. I don't think that's a life for me, dude. Shit runs deep. Mm-mm. Literally, no shit thanks. runs deep. I no, mean, you're stepping in shit. No, thank you. But anyway, so your twenties, I feel like, were a lot more limited, though, in the amount of experiences that you could have, you know. Because I didn't wake up to somebody that pissed themselves. <laughs> That's one. But I, I refute that statement. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe I was going really more toward the financial, but since you wanted oh, okay. to go back down that road, fucking a. Um. I really, you can afford more, you could do more, you know more. Um, it, it just feels a little bit more confident and comfortable. And we definitely, and that's that's funny, contrasting 20s versus 30s, there are a lot of things that we sacrificed in our 20s that now in our 30s, it's like, you know, I was, I was tweeting out a bunch of shit over the weekend, like, you know, 20s me versus 30s me. And a lot of things that I was realizing that I would just make observations across the room. Like um, a shot glass fell on the floor. 20s me would say, all right, rinse that shit off with beer, put it back on the table, let's fill it up and drink. Rinse that shit out with beer? Yeah. <laughs> 30s me, would because you don't want to waste the liquor, right? 30s me would say, you know what? Put that shit in the sink. We're not using it all night. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't know where that floor has been. <laughs> you know? I don't is this know. the floor of the hotel? Or yeah. Was this the floor? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay, I guess. Right. You, you couldn't wash it in the, okay, that's neither here nor there. Sorry. Yeah, you're ruining the story. <laughs> so the other part, um, the point was the fact that the 30s me is so opposed to these nasty things, whereas the 20s me was like, fuck it, who cares, right? So all right, so here are some of my tweets from the weekend. Um, it's like the 20s me would say, hey, guys, we got chips and dip. Let's dig in. The 30s me was like, hey, guys, I got chips and dip. No fucking double dipping, all right? <laughs> It's like, you know, it, just the perception of someone double dipping is just, it grosses me out now. Whereas before I was like, I try not to think about it. You know, it still probably gross me out, but just don't think about it. You know, what's the harm in that? Another one was like, hey, guys, whose cup is this? 
And I look around the room. No one says anything. Fuck it. Pour beer in the cup. Oh, that's just disgusting. This beer sanitizes everything, right? No, it doesn't. Okay, well, that, that was the 20s me. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. Maybe we didn't have any cups left, right? So we had to improvise. Uh, the 30s me was like, hey, guys, did someone drink out of my fucking cup? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, when I, was, when I was in Oakland for New Year's, I had my own cup, like actual glass mason jar with my name on it, like etched into it. I brought my own cup. Uh-huh. Just because I, you know, don't drink out of my cup, bro. Like, that's... So did anyone end up drinking out of your cup? No, because it had my name on it, so they knew better. I would have fucking drank out of your You're cup. You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> the, the 20s me was an asshole. <laughs> no, right? the 20s you would have peed in it. Like, that's the 20s weird. me would have used urine as a sanitizer. You are correct. Wow. It is sterile. <laughs> what? <laughs> so the 20s me would say, shots, 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 right? We just want to keep drinking more. And 30s me. Hey, guys, is it time to take a nap before we go out? <laughs> <laughs> so Someone legit asked that. Hey, should we take a nap before we go bar hopping? I was like, man, we're so fucking old right now. <laughs> so it, it was really surreal, like kind of paralleling the two experiences and just seeing how we've changed so much over the years and how fucked up or maybe not fucked up that is, but how just different it is. Maybe I'm not really willing to accept that yet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's fucked up, but it's either accepting it or you got to really just own it, right? You know, if 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 you know we're going to go all night tonight and I got to take a nap, well, fuck it, bro. That's my life. I got to do this because we're about to get it in tonight. That's a great thing about 30 because no one's going to judge you because a lot of... No, people, people are judging you. You just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's like that old guy. We were talking about the old guy uh, um, in the gym walking around with no no shit on. I, I didn't think you were going to take it there, but then I was like, oh, I'll take it there. And then you go and take it and talk about the old man balls again. Like, old man balls have to keep, it, it's a recurring theme. They have to keep bringing them, swinging right back into it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is this a recurring theme in your life or in the podcast? I feel like this is the first time we've talked about it on air. It could be both. I It could I feel, be a recurring I feel sorry theme. for you if it's a recurring <laughs> it theme a recurring in your theme life. as of now. <laughs> um. But I mean that that's true, right? We got old people strutting their shit all all over the gym, like no no joke. They don't give a fuck. You should, Maybe cla- you should clarify they- that this is in the locker room when dudes are coming out the shower just butt ass naked. Yeah, not in the actual gym. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it is in the locker room. It's weird, you know. I, I've heard uh, females say the same thing. A lot of topless women, a lot of chicks, you know, older women rocking their clams out, you know. Um, a lot of older women rocking sorry, with their clams say, out. Did you say clams? <laughs> clams, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that expression. Be careful, it'll take your finger off. Disgusting. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it look like it's frowning? Oh, look, now it's smiling. <laughs> um But yeah, I I think it's really just the fact that we don't give a fuck anymore. You're right. You're very you I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. And in essence, I think it's not a bad thing as long no. as, like you said, we own it, right? Yeah, you have to because there's, there's certain things that I think I would have been embarrassed to admit when I was in my 20s. Like, yeah, I take naps or, yeah, I need, you know, we might be taking shots, but on the low, I was drinking a bottle of water every between every round just so I wasn't getting myself so fucked <laughs> Pussy. up. Right? No, no. Now we bring cases of water. Okay, did you get your water? You got your water? You yeah, got your we water take care you? of each other, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be taking care of your ass tonight. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> but really, I think there are just some people 
that don't want to let go of that. There are some people just holding on to that youthful ignorance or maybe that unwillingness to just let go of the past um, and, and surrender to the future. And over the weekend, I got to thinking a lot about that, you know, because we were at a bachelor party and here you go. You got the guy. He's the centerpiece of the weekend. Mm-hmm. We're all here for this one guy. And just looking at him and, you know, identifying with him because I've been there. Mm-hmm. When was that time for me? When was that time where I realized that I should just shed my old self and become a new person? So are you saying this in the sense of the pre-marriage Turk and post-marriage Turk? Or are you talking about just letting old habits die? Well, I mean, I say old habits, but just like old tendencies or old things that you used to do when you were in your 20s. A little more little reckless shit, I guess you could say. Just yeah. kind of let it fall by the wayside. Essentially, yeah. I, I think that's what it's all about. It's about leaving your old self behind. It's about shedding that skin and transforming into someone new. Um, and that's really what the Bachelor Party symbolizes, right? It, it, it's just something that we re- maybe might refuse to let go of, right? And and that's kind of what I felt like ha- what happened this weekend. So was it like trying to relive the glory days, yeah. so to speak? Or oh, was yeah. it more so like this is... Uh, Oh man, remember remember the movie Old School? The re-release into the wild? Like this is your last hurrah before like you're in captivity for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, essentially. And it, the picture that's painted about marriage is that it is kind of, you know, captivity. And it's not okay, it's very negative. It is kind of negative, all things considered. Because you are now two instead of one you're thinking about someone else you got someone else and you factor kids into the equation and it gets even more you get even more invested in it and people don't realize that because they don't have it they can't relate to that but there is some kind of change that needs to happen in order for that transformation to happen right so this is the catalyst marriage okay that's a start bachelor party symbolic for this is the end of this is the beginning of the end or is it the the moment you get okay this is your last chance either we are going to go through with this as far as going to getting married or this is what you're leaving behind are you sure you want to let this go i think it's a latter of the two definitely the latter of the two and it it's a lot of leaving this behind it's mm-hmm. that's it get it out of your system now because you can't have it again mm-hmm. whatever it is whatever it is <laughs> so that begs the question when do you change are right. we are we talking like in in deciding to get married change? Are we talking about just like change in general as transitional from leaving your twenties and going into your thirties change? Definitely late twenties, early thirties kind of transitional change. And I think that comes about in many different forms and they all require a catalyst, right? What do you is it can the catalyst be just yourself wanting change or do you think it's caused by okay i see where i am in life now and it's not where i see myself as where i want to be i need to just change so that way i can fit where that mold that i want to be that's a lot of self-awareness i think that's going out on a limb and assuming people at in their 30s are even that self-aware i'm not even saying like that self-aware change where you're making actual substantial change i think people will do like surface level changes uh, okay, I mean, explain. prime prime example would be changing your appearance to, uh, you know, 
dressing like money, so to speak, right? Dressing or, like money, but you have none. Right. Or buying the car or buying, you know, whatever uh, large ticket items to to impose or to show that you have this status now. Status that you, yeah, an applied status that you think you should be having at 30. So I'm basically faking it. Faking it to make it? Essentially, yeah. That's, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, that has been something in in the back of my mind um a lot during the course of my 30s how do how do you fake it till you make it how do you know what you know and and how do you you know internalize that and own it right like you said before i mean how do you know you're not faking it and how you know how many people around us are faking it or think they know what's going on and you know you get two three years down the line and realize you know i really don't know what i'm doing so what brings about that change there we go we're back to square one my philosophy is deeply rooted in the fact that uh, change is good. Always be changing. Change is essentially the improvement that fuels our growth, and the growth that we develop is our success. And that's what leads to eventual fulfillment. That's my view on growth. It should be substantial. It should be meaningful, and it should be rooted in something that actually lays the foundation for you to build upon it. I mean, is that motivated by just wanting continual improvement or is it by realizing that you're just not happy and you just want to make a change? I think it would be, uh, it would almost border on the fact that you, you're not happy, but you also need some kind of event that sparks it, that catalyst, right? So maybe a career change. Okay. Um, could one of your friends, you know, getting a new group of friends, maybe new group of friends, moving to a new city, new state, right? Really switching it up. Okay, I see what you're saying there, but that to me is very not to say it's surface level, but that that is like a quick fix, and it doesn't always address uh, the issue at hand that may be the root of the discomfort in your life, right? And I think part of it is because um, it, it could be rooted in, in who you surround yourself with and, and, how, and how that influences how you feel about yourself. You know, it, it might be the barrier from you being able to own your truth and who you are and embrace who you are and be okay with it. Because if your circle of friends is telling you, you need to be this way or, you know, we're all doing this mm-hmm. and you're the, the one that's the outlier that's not fitting into that mold. Just because you don't fit into this circle doesn't mean that you're not fitting into you know your life and how your life should kind of be play- playing out. Uh, it kind of does, though, doesn't it? Um, take myself, for example. I grew up in San Francisco. I spent the, the better part of my you know life in, in... I wouldn't say the better part of my life, but up until I was 18 in San Francisco. That's all I knew. I surrounded myself with people from that you know community, and those people in that community think differently than people in this community. And it took me a long time to adjust just because I was that guy that didn't want to adjust. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to shed my childhood and forget everything that I knew and loved just because I moved down here. And at that time, when I had first moved down here, even four or five years into my move down in Southern California, I didn't think I was staying here long term. And here I am now. (laughs) Right. But but you didn't want to adjust, right? You you ultimately adjusted, but was it because the people that you found down here 
were they so different from what you were expecting? Did you just not take the time to find people that were more like-minded like you or had similar experiences as yours that you could probably bond with better and not force you to kind of change your, what did you change? Like your, just your way of thinking or just your perspective or like what was the change there that you, you initiated? I think I changed a lot of my core values just to kind of try and fit in. And I think that's where I fucked up quite honestly. I think I went in the wrong direction instead of finding like-minded people and trying to gravitate toward people that thought like me or acted like me. I wanted to forget them in a sense. Why? I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Kind of reflecting on it a, a little bit. I was, I was very resistant to change, but at the same time I wanted change. I think I was very confused. It was okay. a very tumultuous time in my, in my life. You know, you had a lot of change college. My parents were getting divorced. Um, so I, I was kind of having a crisis of faith mm-hmm. almost, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what values and what morals and what, you know, foundation to, to use to, to prevent me from falling backward. Well, what would have been falling backward for you at that point? I think I did eventually fall backward and that's because I ended up succumbing and changing myself for the, for the worst. Mm. Um, and, and you know, in retrospect, it didn't turn out all that bad because I think I was able to catch a lot of, of that negative change, but I think I just wanted to be someone different. I was tired of the safe me, the comfortable me, the me that was always like, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, take it easy and see what kind of happens and be lazy and loaf about and not really be an active participant in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think toward my twenties, because, you know, when, I think it was 18 when I started college, 19. Yeah. Um, toward my 20s, early 20s, I, I started kind of changing to be a little bit more, less rebellious, more um, conforming. And that was because I felt like I needed to conform to fit in. And then I kind of expanded a little bit more. Fit in where, though? To the people that were in my, that, that I was surrounded by. Right. So are you talking like personal, uh, not personal, social circle? Social circle. Okay. So, I mean, you, college experience-wise, what do you feel the same? What what happened to you? I mean, you didn't go through that kind of same transition from high school to college? No, I didn't. I think, I think the only real big transition that I had that fundamentally changed the way I view things was uh, the, the, the big breakup I had. And that was after college, really. And it kind of really affected me in the way I um, approach relationships. And I had this, uh, you know, when you're younger, you have this really idealistic view of what love is. Yeah. And even now, I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people think I'm this like hopeless romantic. I was actually worse than I am now. Now I'm actually a little more jaded as far as like when I, even when I approach relationships. Well, people don't know this about us, but that's why I didn't like you back then. Oh, really? No, I'm joking. Wow. <laughs> I, I, it might have been. There are certain things about people that are off-putting, and I don't internalize it because I don't want to hold it against them because people are very much capable of change right. and growth, right? So, but go on. Um, I think if, if, if anything, I will say I overcompensated in college. So I did create, create a facade to be accepted by, by more of the Latino community, even though that just, I am, I am that by default, but I am, I know nothing to the depths of like what it means to grow up like that. You've never identified. No, I was never able to. I just wasn't exposed to it. But I, I tried when we were in college. I tried going to, what was it, Castillo, 
Castillo. El Castillo. Yeah, El Castillo. <laughs> We're talking about UC Riverside. And yeah, the, the scene different, back different. Then. Yeah, where they play like some banda and rock in Espanol. And yeah, it was right by the Food for Less on yeah. <laughs> uh, Iowa. I Iowa. Yeah. Uh, just actually by the post office. By the post office. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I try. I try to do that whole thing. I did do like the baggy shirts. You know, just a little more street up my look or whatever like it i try to do these different things to have people interpret me a particular way and that right. just wasn't my truth that just wasn't who i was you were lying to yourself oh yeah did you feel but this is i felt really uncomfortable did you feel the same way like you felt like you weren't you you weren't in your own skin you were someone else yeah so to speak. yeah i guess you could say that i i really struggled to really just find where my lane was and because I, I come from like a diverse background of, of friend groups and, and social experiences, it was it was really difficult. I mean, you know, obviously my, my family, my cousins, they have a little more of a, a traditional Mexican upbringing. Mm-hmm. In school, I was with a lot of uh, Filipino and Asian and, and white kids. And okay. then, you know, my neighborhood was predominantly, you know, or my high school was uh, predominantly black and Samoan, right? Where my friend oh. groups were. So okay. it, was, it was just very different every step of the way. Uh, and, and in none of those instances did I have anyone that was what I thought I should be, right? As far as like a, real like a role model. Yeah, a role model. I had, a, you know, I had a friend in, in elementary school who was half Mexican, half white, and we had a pretty much similar upbringing, you know? So it it was kind of one of those things where when I got to college, I took, you know, to college studies class and I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is where my history is, you know, Brown versus the board of education and, and you know, Professor Navarro, like, yes, you know, oh, resistance no. and, yeah. and walkouts and the whole nine. Wasn't you. That wasn't me. No, it wasn't. It just, I just didn't relate to it. Yeah. I can kind of parallel that. I, I never had a true Arabic upbringing. I don't really talk about it a whole lot when I don't really identify it. Uh, I don't really identify with it primarily because it I don't feel like it defines me. In my case, I don't honestly think I gave it a fair shot. Hmm. And that could be a lot of the bias that my my parents had, uh primarily my mother, I think, um on my upbringing and the whole trying to deviate from the culture. That still could very much resonate with me today, which is kind of, you know, I'm trying to work against that and see what I could do to, to, to change that. But getting back to what I was saying before is in, in college, I didn't really have anyone to identify with. I, I was in Southern California. There aren't a whole lot of Arabic people down here, right? And the Arabic people that were down here, I did not like them <laughs> whatsoever. But a lot of people don't know this. Um, but I, I came to UC Riverside, um, because of an ex-girlfriend and it was a school that we got into together and you know we set everything up and we're we're on our way freshman year ends and we're done game over no more wow i had to reboot so that was a whole lot of that is that is that when you made all those significant changes yeah there was a lot of change because i mean i would assume (laughs) after after having to go through a breakup anytime you go through a breakup there's always that shedding of like this past life, like, and that assessment, okay, was I doing things in this relationship out of, out of love or was I doing it and changing part of who I am and what I'm about to, to maintain this relationship? I think you have to make that assessment at the end of every relationship because a lot of people do it and they don't realize it, how much they change within a relationship just for the sake of the relationship. Right. And the further you go down that rabbit hole, 
the more dramatic of changes you make once that relationship ends to find who you are. So it's almost like you're doing another balancing act again. You go to extremes of one end to the other of the spectrum to find out, okay, this is this is the middle ground and this is this is my lane. This is who I am. Now I'm now I'm remembering this is this is who I was and who I want to be. I would say for every one year you're you're going a hundred feet deep, right? In the hole. <laughs> yeah. And and you gotta climb back up and make it to make it back to sunlight. And essentially, you're absolutely right. You change a lot. You change a lot for a relationship. And by that alone, you lose your identity, in a sense. You lose what makes you, you. And you're absolutely right. You have to find that and, and reground, right? Yeah. But in my case, I did not. My case, I said, you know what? This is a great fucking opportunity to become somebody completely fucking different. And I did it. And I did it for a long time up until, you know, uh, probably like a handful of years ago, even. <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't expect it to be a handful of years. I'm sorry. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, up until about a handful of years ago, I was still struggling with who I was as a person. Maybe really um, that helped me change a lot of my viewpoints on uh, a lot of my perspective revolving around my career, my career path, my decisions, um, being a little bit more careful, more cautious, um, working on my physique, working on my uh, look. It helped me grow and evolve into who I am now. And going back to what I said earlier, change is foundational in the sense that it yields growth and growth yields success. And by being successful, we gain fulfillment. That is the it, that is the root of where we are as human beings. And I feel right now that I am I am on the pathway to to fulfillment. I, I feel it every day. I wake up. I'm like, yes, I, I can feel the energy. So this this journey that you've taken from you know from I I guess we could say from that breakup to just the, the recently, mm, right? You know, we'll say recently, right? Do you think that was all active participation in change for yourself, or were you still like kind of going through different phases of trying to figure out, okay, is this me? Is this not me? Sort of just like kind of trying on different outfits, so to speak. Yeah, look at the pictures, right? I mean, if you if you scroll through the photos of my life, you will see the change. It really transpired out in front of everyone. Piercings, tattoos, different hairstyles, different beard styles. All that translates to trying different things to change how people view you, mm -hmm. right? And I guess that is kind of deeply rooted in the fact that I am a rebellious fucking person. I will always be a rebellious person. That is something that's never changed. So that's part of the found, foundational, not foundational, that is part of... That is innately part of you. Yeah, that's a part of myself that I cannot leave behind. How long did it take before you could really own that? Um, <laughs> oh, fuck that. I owned that in high school. I, I, I would always say in high school, and my friends will always remember this about me, I was the guy that they wrote like the extra 40% of the rule book catered toward me. That wow. was me. No nail polish, no chains, no uh, outside... Um, wear other than the school uniform and school approved clothing and uh, you know i went to an all boys private catholic high school in san francisco our colors were purple and gold reardon crusaders they had their own shop where you would go in and you would buy you know jackets and sweaters and all this shit and you could only wear that they created these rules because of me 
and they're still there today. <laughs> One, that sucks. Two, that makes sense why you hate the Lakers. And three, uh, three I do. <laughs> I know, I know. Three, um, how do you, I don't want to say control that because I, I feel like managing that or just learning how that really fits in with your life is, is fundamental, but it could also be stifling, so to speak. Yeah, I, you know, that I've never really put it in that kind of perspective before. Well, to take it a step further, because you are, you know, you, you made those changes with your career and you've been climbing the corporate ladder, which is a very conformist uh, <laughs> experience, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you balance the rebelliousness of your, who you are with fitting into this mold of, that, that seemingly goes against everything that you kind of are. How do I how do I reel it in? Essentially, um, it, it took a long time. I, I had to stumble a lot, right? Um, my I guess the beginning origin of my career started in 2010, and I've had to lose a lot of burn a lot of bridges, lose a lot of jobs, or or really essentially everything was mine to lose and I chose to just shed that and, and just forget about it because I realized that I've created a negative image and I think that's why I've been jumping from company to company so much trying to find out who I really am and how to dial in that rebelliousness right and how how to kind of tune it to a point where it's acceptable because at one point in time in in kind of us growing up I think we saw this at the very beginning point are really at the waning um, portion of of this next statement that I'm going to pose. And it's a thought that's been on my mind for a while because society at one point in time was all about conformity, right? If you look at the post-World War II era, baby boomer, you know, uh, uh, generation, they're all about conformity, about uh, tribalism, about forming to conform and change right now is becoming the conformity ironically enough right so i don't really have to try too hard to dial it in i just have to find the right company that's willing to accept it the company that's willing to accept the rebelliousness as the change that they need in order to solidify the future of their company because without our generation they don't exist anymore so being a rebellious soul in a system that is very reliant on systems and you not wanting to conform to how things are done. I mean, this could, I mean, this is, this actually kind of transcends your life and in, in your experience working in the corporate America. I mean, this is even on a social level, right? Mm -hmm. It takes someone that is, that has the audacity to do this or fearlessness to do this, to, to stand up to the status quo and say, this isn't right or this isn't working. Right. And you, you bring up an interesting point because you're you're looking for the company that's going to embrace that aspect of you. But what if no company ever embraces that? Where do you go from there? Yeah, I'd be fucked. <laughs> would you though? I would, would you? Be, I, I think that is so that part of me is so hard coded in my DNA. It's like you said, innate to the point where it's the stubbornness inside of me that just will not let that subside. And I think it has to be it has to be a little bit cultural. 
Because Arabic people are pretty fucking stubborn people. I mean, look at what's going on right now. You know, Israel and Palestine. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not giving up my fucking land. Ah, you know what? There comes a point in time where you might have to say, you know what? Peace out. It's just too much. It's too much loss. Um, I don't agree with that statement, but, you know, there might come a, a point in time. But getting back to that, I think it really is a part of me that just will not go away. And uh, uh, funny, um, you mentioned that I was talking to the director of my plant um, a while back uh, when I first got the job. And, you know, he alluded to the fact of the conversation that we had during my interview and, you know, uh, hearkening back to a lot of the points as to what led up to him making the decision to hire me. And it was that fearlessness. It was that arrogance. It was that comfortable arrogance, you know. And I told him straight out, I've been called arrogant several times. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. And a lot of people in the modern workplace do not have that because they're afraid. They're afraid of what other people might think of them. Oh, this guy's trying to take my job. Oh, this guy's trying to supplant me as, you know, the director or the manager or whatever. It's not about that. I'm confident in what I know because I want people to be convinced that what I say is correct, right? I might actually be in reality. I thought about this the other day. I might be overcompensating. For what though? For the fact that I might not know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know. That sometimes goes, it's, <laughs> sometimes well, no, it's kind of scary. I, I, I get like, that, but that's that's what I was talking about with, you know, how do you know whether it, you know, you're in that, the whole fake it till you make it thing, right? What if you get to a point and you realize like everything just kind of happened and I was lucky how things played out. I thought I knew and had it all under control, but really I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And that and that's like a true reality for some things. Like you just can't explain timing, or mm -hmm. or yeah. I would say it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of chance. It's all timing. I think if timing, you know, I had thirteen thirteen interviews before I accepted a job at Starbucks. Thirteen interviews for just one job. No, different companies, different oh. different positions. Uh, several offers, nothing really suited what I wanted to be a part of, mm. company-wise. And I was very much conscious of culture in a company. The first thing I would look for is culture. What are the people like? When you walk through that door, who's looking at you? Why are they looking at you? How long are they looking at you for? How is their demeanor when they're interviewing you? What is the, and no bullshit, what is the racial breakdown of the people in the office? What is the racial breakdown of the people, you know, throughout the company? Looking at that kind of thing. And Starbucks, hands down, they are the most open-ended company. They will never say no to anybody. You can have fucking tattoos head to toe. You can have fucking tattoos on your face. Starbucks will be like, you're a part of our family. Come, come child. <laughs> we want to embrace but, you. But this is, this is also, you're working... Uh, in a plant, right? So that's not like the face of the organization, or what? No, absolutely. It's the farthest from the face, closest to the ass, actually. Okay. So, why? I mean, why does that matter if you're not even the face? I mean, your comp where you're working is not what the public sees, so to speak. Right. Why? Why does that matter? Well, Starbucks is actually really big on the fact that you represent the company, whether or not you are the face of the company. Because everyone is the face of the company. I'm a brand ambassador when we talk about this, either you know, behind closed doors or on air. I am representing Starbucks. My views and my opinions are all mine, but I am a visual representation of what Starbucks embodies. Like when people see me, I'm rocking my Starbucks gear or my Evolution Fresh gear. I am 
Evolution Fresh. I am Starbucks. You know, they include people like me. They include people like you and and people with disenfranchised backgrounds and, and um, the LGBT community. And they're just, they embrace that and they want everyone to know. They don't shy away from that no matter where you're at. So I think they actually take pride in it. In fact, where, hey, you know what? This isn't the face of the company, but look at us. Our demographic is fucking awesome. And I don't think they they deliberately go out of their way to do that. I think it just happens. They attract that kind of person. I was going to say, it sounds like they do it on purpose just to be able to say that they can do that or that they have that. You know, a lot of people have said that, but working as a part of the company and, and observing our hiring process throughout the board because it is very much standardized, there's no way that you can control for that. Oh, well, I got a white guy and I got a black guy. Let's hire the black guy. That is not a conscious decision. We hire based on the fact that we want people that are going to say the right things in the interview. That when I sit down with you and I look at you, I say, this guy fits our culture. This guy will have no problem hitting the ground running with the people that are that are in our plant, that are in our stores, no matter what. Because anybody in the Starbucks network can work anywhere. But really going back to what you said, what if I didn't find that company? What if I... I I honestly think I would have just tried to figure shit out on my own and, and, and kind of make it make my own path. And I think that's a big part of our generation and, and us being 30 now, we feel a little bit more empowered to do that because we have a little bit more knowledge and experience that we could fall back on and say, you know what, I've had a lot of social interactions and personal interactions that I can say comfortably, I can go out on a limb and, and try my own thing. So would you say like this has been a more, well, two things. Is this been more validating for you as far as embracing who you are and who you, who, what you bring to the table in a workplace? And then has this also been more of an environment for you to flourish and, and own that aspect of you, right? From the rebellious part of you and to the person that still wants to figure out, okay, where am, where am I now? And and where do I see myself? And is that the right growing trajectory for me? Like, is this is this like the right fit for you? Is that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and invalidating what I am and and what I know, absolutely, because this has kind of brought everything full circle and saying, you know, as opposed to four years ago where I was kind of down on my luck and I was like, you know, have I really learned anything? To now being able to comfortably and confidently say, yes, I do know my shit and people take me seriously for what it's worth right there will always be people in the workplace that will try to undermine you but you have to have that confidence that arrogance that people just they won't fuck with you like it's that fearlessness it's that edge i really didn't expect to have this conversation with you today and i feel like it was almost like an interview of you like getting to know you a little bit more so mm. Turk, why don't you tell the people where they can find you if they want to keep connecting you can find me at Turg says no on Instagram and Twitter, and, and you can find me at I am Randy Z on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Woo! Fire! Thanks for coming on today, Turg. Appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was a guest. <laughs> Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk Thirty to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30to.me.com. For more content and information about the podcast, rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk Theory to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. 
Peace. You got an STD? Fuck it. I got a condom. <laughs> and I'm uncircumcised. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's its own condom, right? <laughs> um, no, it's not.